Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a very pleasant, good Saturday afternoon to you. It is the 21st day of December of 2019. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. That's right. And today's program, we've got uh, the lady who writes about all the ladies of the West. What are you doing there? What am I doing? Boy, oh boy, just crackling all over the place there, buddy. I'm trying to find something. Okay. Well, the lady that we've got on the line here is Miss Chris Enns, and uh, she has a a number of books out about ladies, but uh, this particular one is called... According to Kate, and that's about uh, Big Nose Kate, Doc Holiday Squeeze, Main Squeeze. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Happy to be a part of the broadcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's our pleasure. And uh, before we get going, I know you've run uh, written a number of books about ladies of the West and such. I've got a, a question. You may or may not be able to answer this. When did the 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 thing of uh, the villain tying the woman to the railways start? <laughs> right after they built the first railroad. You know what? That I tell you, that has to be vaudeville. I, that's that what I'm thinking. The whole vaudevillian idea of what it was for women in the West. No, yeah. I can't pay the rent, but you must pay the rent. <laughs> yeah, I think it. I think that has to do with the vaudevillian act. Yeah, There's just the ability to be able to tie a woman to the railroad tracks, and yeah. there's some. There must have been some women that they wish they could have done that. <laughs> I know. I, I, I thought it sounded like something coming from theater, uh, but uh, well, uh, they did that on the stage. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, but uh, I, I, yeah, I, know, I got I, a couple I, of candidates I, for that. So, yeah, all right. I think it probably has its origin with something like that. So, because uh, I haven't, I haven't run across anything where where uh, that was happening. But I think it's so dramatic. Yes. I think it, it, you know, it was at first um, probably vaudeville, and then they did it with the silent films. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you know, I, I happened to see a silent the other day, and, and uh, <laughs> of course the heroine was being tied to the rail track, so you had to wonder why. <laughs> well, you know what's kind of neat, though, in the early, because right off the bat with the, some of the first serials, it was the serials with the ladies as the hero. Yeah. And they were saving the guys tied to the track. Yeah. Huh? Boy, there you go. Yeah, I and and I'm a big. I've written a couple of books about Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, so I'm a real Dale Evans yeah. fan, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that, that that sounds like something Dale would do with buttermilk. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, know you know, we were talking here, and you know, your books, and I did a count here. And I'm sure I missed some, but I came up with 44 books that uh, you authored or co-authored, two more that you did introductions for, and as I understand, three more that are in the uh, pipeline for the future. How do you do all of that? How how do I do all of that? Where do you find the time? Well, I haven't slept since 72. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I think putting that that time where you can't sleep to good use, I think that that's all a part of it. I just enjoy writing about the West. I enjoy writing about what women did and um, the accomplishments that that they 
they made and uh, the difference that they they made west of the Mississippi. And mostly I enjoy writing about about the women that I do because they weren't women who said, hey, let me do it because I'm a woman. Yeah. They just did it. They just did it. The fact yep. that they were a woman was, you know, that was just secondary. Well, that's really good because this is a particular topic that we've not had an opportunity to address. And so I'm, I'm glad that we're going to scratch the tip of the iceberg it. here. Yeah. Well, you uh, know, what's, what's so neat, too, is uh, I collect old self-published stuff about the West, and I've got a ton of stuff uh, about the women, you know. And I'm going through your your uh, resume of women and occupations and activities and deeds uh i've got to echo that you are you are on top of women of the west you really are well i mean the the thing is you do one book about what women what women's accomplishments were and and how they helped tame the american frontier and and you you have to go even a little bit deeper i mean it, it it opens the door to something else i um, I have a book coming out in October of next year called uh, Iron Ladies, mm-hmm. Women women Who Influenced the American Railroad. Yeah. And they were women from Laura Bullion, who was uh, the last train that was robbed in the United States. She had a part of that. Mm-hmm. She took part in that last train robbery. Yeah. And then um, from Mary Pennington, who was a woman who invented the modern refrigerator boxcar that if we didn't have... We wouldn't have been, the United States wouldn't have been successful in World War One. How many people? How many people know that that little tidbit of uh, information? Well, three of us know. Yeah, three of us. But <laughs> <laughs> that's well, that's pretty cool. Isn't that just amazing? I mean, and and I mean, always what I like about them is they weren't they weren't women's livers. They mm-hmm. were not women who sat around bemoaning the fact that I'm not getting my chance. They were women that said, yeah. you know, I'm going to go, here. I'm taking a step forward, and here's what I'm going to do. That, I know that I can accomplish that. This. That reminds me of a, a program my wife and I were watching, and they were doing Hedy Lamar, <clears throat> and, oh, and right, I did well, not I realize did. that she had uh, pretty much invented the, the, the basis for radar. And the internet. And the internet, yeah. and she also uh, was instrumental in um, getting the um, the, uh, the monoplane wing to become a reality. I think. Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, but she had. She, wow! What a woman! Yeah, what, what an a, amazing threat that she was, and absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. yeah. You know, um, just just and, and women did. I mean, take like actors like Maude Adams. I wrote a book called Entertaining uh, Entertaining Ladies, Women Entertainers of the Old West. Mm-hmm. And one of the women that I, I wrote about in there was an actress by the name of Maude Adams, who gets her start when she's nine months old and uh, just pretty much stays in theater her whole life. And when the theater is dark, she decides that she is going to work on incandescent lighting for the theater, hmm. which were then developed by, then she started working for GE, for crying out loud, hmm. and invented the tubes that took that lighting and turn them into picture tubes that we used in color television. I'll be darned. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, so, I, I mean, <laughs> these women that just, and, and you would never know anything about it. I mean, they flew no. under the radar. They were just, 
they accomplished it and they were pleased about what they accomplished. Well, let's look at who wrote history, huh? And that's why you don't see it. Well, you know, well, you know what? I got to tell you something. I, because I um, listen. I mean, let's let me not even pretend here. I am. I am a. Re- conservative Republican right of Darth Vader. So <laughs> I gotta tell you, so whenever I hear, and because I've been writing about women's history for a long time, men were men wrote a lot of history, but I want to tell you something. Mm-hmm. The men that wrote about women historically, they weren't being disrespectful by, living, by leaving women out, mm-hmm. by writing... Mrs. Benjamin Kelsey, mm-hmm. who was the first, who was the first white woman to cross over the Sierras, and she does so barefoot, carrying a one-year-old baby on mm-hmm. her hip. They're not writing. Mrs. Benjamin Kelsey makes the trip to be, to be mean and leaving out her first name. They were being respectful. Well, yeah. That was a different time period. <clears throat> yeah, that's how that's how uh, the journal, <clears throat> excuse me, the journalistic practices of that day. <clears throat> uh, you never. You, you, it was always a Mister or Mrs. or a yeah, Miss. You know, and, and the other thing about it is, you get you you have men that came west with the gold rush, and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of women out anyway in the old west. So to be able to sit down and write about what was happening, who did they know at that particular time? What women did they know? They knew soil doves. Mm-hmm. You're not going to write. You're not going to sit down and say, "Dear Mom, <laughs> met a wonderful prostitute last night." <laughs> you're not gonna write that down. Her, her name is Trixie. <laughs> so if you're if you are a guy writing history, you're going to write about the things that you came in contact sure. with. Sure. Yeah. How many women did they come in contact with that were really incredible teachers or doctors? They weren't leaving women out because they didn't like women. Mm-hmm. They left them out because they weren't really in connection with a lot of these women, and that just chaps my hide when anybody says that. I take exception to that. Whenever anybody says, well, it's his, it's history, not herstory, mm-hmm. I just want to punch them in oh, the neck. Yeah, that, that's, that's an absurd absurd saying. Well, you know, there's a the thing, too, is when you, you, when you look at this historically, uh, the people that are publishing books, publishing newspapers, uh, they were men. Yeah, and they, they were women. And, and, they were women they, they, But I'm talking about basically the capitals, captains yeah. of industry. And they were looking, just like they do today, they were looking at bottom line. Now, sure. what's going to sell my newspaper? What's You know, if, if you got a woman uh, like Lizzie Borden who chops up the family, that's going to sell newspapers, so you're going to read about it. Certainly. But you uh-huh. don't have a lot of those. Certainly. Kate Bender, Kate Bender is going to be on the front page of every Kansas newspaper because she was chopping up men. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. you're going to have that. Well, you know, we're he, we're and so it's not. It's I, I just I, I always like I said I always take exception to people who try to make it as though men were just so hideous to yeah, people living yeah. out of history okay. because I think that that is not an accurate depiction at all. Okay. All right, point taken. We are here to talk about Kate, uh, Big Nose Kate, but, you know, we're at, at our first commercial break, so I think what we'll do is do that and then come back and talk about Big Nose Kate. Who? Okay. Big Nose Kate. She what, was. What uh, did she do? She was uh, Doc Holliday's main squeeze. He squeezed a, a Kate? He, he certainly did a lot more than that. Did, uh, did he say, kiss me, Kate? <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> we'll be back with much more of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Right after these important messages, do stay tuned. The two 
Nissan Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, friends. This is Laura Darnell, the host of Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. Each episode will cover a person, place, or event from Kansas City's history. Homegrown KC can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. For additional information about the show, please visit my website, homegrownkc.wordpress.com. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. I'll hop upon my pony and I'll ride away down the trail to San Antonio. I can see her standing waiting by the garden. On the trail down to San Antonio. That's a cool song. That's Bill Boyd. And his cowboy ramblers. Cowboy ramblers, not the not the real Bill Boyd. No, not the hoppy Bill Boyd. That's his uh, Bill. Well, there's three of them, you know. Yeah, I know. But this is this is a Bill Boyd. This is the Bill Boyd. The Bill Boyd of the music. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking with uh, author Chris Enns, her latest book, according to Kate, and it's about uh, the one woman who was called Big Nose Kate. Obviously, uh, Chris, she did have a, a, a rather large uh, nose, but... Uh, no, she didn't. No? All right. Well, let's talk... Uh, yeah, that's, that's not why they called her Big Nose Kate, but okay. All right. Uh, in any of... Oh, probably sticking because her nose... she stuck in, her nose in everybody. Sticking her nose into... She was a bitty. She stuck uh, her nose well, in everybody. Well, you know what? I don't, she, I don't even think that she was a bitty, but that is... <laughs> but that is why gave her that name. Hmm. And, um, you know, we'll... Uh, I'll, I'll shut up if you want to ask a question about that? No, but I would. Okay. I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah, want, you do. No, I don't. I want to talk well, about. I do. Uh, all right. <laughs> I really want to talk about Kate. How? How did uh, she's not American born? Uh, uh, American born. Is that correct? Hungarian. No, she's not. She was a husky Hungarian lady. Mm-hmm. She uh, went from uh, Hungary with her uh, parents, and they moved to Davenport, uh, Davenport, Iowa. And then she went on to St. Louis, where she began working her particular trade. And uh, it was in St. Louis where she meets Doc. 
but she is uh, she was she was um, born Mary Catherine, and um, so she was she was she was Kate. I Everybody have, called I, her Kate. Uh, I have and, a, uh, I have a uh, list of names here that she went by: Kate Elder, Kate Fisher, Big Nose Kate. I don't think she probably liked that one. No, Mrs. J. No, no, H. Yeah. Holiday, uh, Mary Kay Cummings. That you know yeah. that, that could be a little confusing when you start looking her up. Boy, it sure can be, and that's um, that was part of going back and doing some of the research for her, being able to look up. The, the proper name that you would uh, be able to associate her with um, any kind of arrest records, like you, like in Dodge City. Mm-hmm. How, how did this lady make her way west? Well, she was a soil dove, and uh, she was really good at her <coughs> trade because back then, if, if you were a soil dove and you um, you were a soil dove until uh, you got out of your 20s and still working that trade, you were good at what you did. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it was um, it was a difficult difficult time to um, be in history and uh, be working as a prostitute because good gosh you could you could be murdered you could uh, be stabbed there's a lot of things that that could happen to you uh, venereal disease I mean these ladies mm-hmm. uh, went through an awful lot to. Um, to, to maintain their life in that particular business. I, re- I remember Emil had a uh, guest on, uh, an author, some time back, and uh, this lady had written a book about the hookers up in, Ala- I think it was Alaska, and this might have been during the gold rush, but uh, the bottom line of it is that they were all professional about this. I mean, they they, they set up city government, uh, and, yep. and, and, and they did uh, collected taxes, and I mean... <laughs> You know, it's not the group of folks that you would expect to be doing that kind of thing. Well, you know, if you if also if you think about it in another context, uh, the prostitutes were just like the gamblers. They mm-hmm. followed the action. Sure. They went yeah. to where the action was. Yeah. And sense. in fact, you know, you mentioned in the book, and I thought that was interesting, that apparently she... Uh, dipped her toe in the gambling trade as well, which would be another reason for her and Doc to to hit it off. And I'd also that kind of puts her, I think, in a different different category of uh, working girl because a gambling working girl wouldn't be running around in nighties and loose stuff. She'd be more dressed a little more presentable, more mm-hmm. you know, more trade men mm-hmm. like. Well, I mean she certainly was um, somebody who who knew how to dress and who knew exactly how to attract an audience. I mean, she was good at uh, playing cards, and uh, she the whole time she's with Doc, she never does stop being a prostitute. She's, yeah. She doesn't give up her occupation. I mean, she she's a modern gal. You have your career, I have my career. <laughs> That's why I, I always found it, whenever you hear anybody you know, in films or anything like that, you always get a sense that Doc supported Kate. Mm-hmm. But nothing could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, Doc was sickly. A lot of times he wasn't able to, to play cards as often as everybody thought he might mm-hmm. like to or, mm-hmm. or to be able to be a dentist for that day because he was sick. So she was the one who uh, supported them on many occasions. Is she? Would you Would you agree that she may have 
know, that, that turn of phrase turned Doc's life around uh, a little bit in terms of maybe a want to survive as opposed to always being sick? Was she responsible for that, do you think? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I think that, I think that um, you know, the two of them, listen, Doc was crazy about Kate in the sense that, that Kate didn't wear a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. Kate could cuss as, as well as he could, and she could give it to Doc as well as he could dish it out. Mm-hmm. She, wasn't, she wasn't just a little cowering. A tiny lady in the corner. I mean, she certainly, the two of them could mix it up in public like nobody's business and did on several occasions. And being a Southern um, gentleman, she would have been probably a little more presentable to him yeah. as a companion. Well, yeah, I think because she was incredibly hearty. Yeah. And I, she didn't she didn't suffer fools gladly and because I mean, like I said, I mean, she was a career prostitute and so she already knew how to protect herself she knew exactly what what she was getting herself into and and didn't um like i said wasn't going to be taking advantage of anybody and she wasn't going to let doc take advantage of her either yeah. but the two of them because i mean they they had a great kinship and they and they counted on one another an awful lot i think she counted on doc more so than he counted on her because with Doc, she found some stability that she had not known previous mm-hmm. in her life. And protection. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's why she was always really irritated whenever they would get to a place like Las Vegas, New Mexico, and they would be building uh, a gambling hall, and they were going to be running a saloon together, and then mm-hmm. before you know it, here were the herbs. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know. Asking, asking uh, Doc to come along with them, and that's when she would say, where are you going with Doc? And Wyatt <laughs> would say, keep your big nose out of this. Ah. Well, you know, one of the things, too, which kind of shows you how she stood out, uh, in uh, 1872, they did kind of a census there in St. Louis, and there was not, they've estimated 900 working girls, her being in that number, and out of that 900, that she's the only one we know about. Hmm. Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, the mortality rate with prostitutes was, was really high. Um, you, you had to really know how to um, keep yourself healthy throughout all of that, and she knew how to do it. I mean, uh, especially in St. Louis, when you're, they were flying their trade in St. Louis, because mostly they did that on Almond Street, which wasn't too terribly far from the docks. So you're getting a lot of uh, the sailor trades coming in. Yeah, and, um, seamen. You know, they they were quite busy. I mean, that's what I. I mean, I've done a couple of books about prostitution. One of the things I was am fascinated with it is these women that were uh, very good at what they did knew that they had to service as many people during the course of the evening as possible in order to make a good living. And hmm. uh, at some point, they come up with um, a design of being able to have a drop cloth on the bottom of their bed so men didn't have to take off their boots. So they didn't have to take <laughs> their pants off all the way. Well, yeah, that's smart. So, um, <laughs> so you know, you could, you could um, get, you could be with a number of clients that evening if that wasn't happening. And so the reason why I bring that up, because every time you see any kind of interior design magazine, you see this beautiful bedroom, and then you see this oil drop cloth at the bottom of a, of a bedspread, and mm-hmm. you think, 
Hey, Martha Stewart didn't invent that. They came from houses of ill repute. That's funny. Well, tell me about the Seven Jolly Sisters. That intrigued me. It didn't really, you didn't really have to do much to be an entertainer in the Old West because there wasn't a lot going on entertainment-wise. So you, I don't even think, you know, Kate's with the Seven Jolly Sisters. They're not great dancers. They're not great singers. Uh, but they could get up and they could shake all the naughty bits that made the audience <laughs> want to spend time with them afterwards. And um, that's primarily what the act was all about. Um, and so, you know, you would come every night to, to sit down and, and see Kate and the other six women uh, do what they did. And then afterwards, you could um, spend the evening with one of these lovely ladies. Well, by 1874, she was in Dodge City. And I come across this, your mention of it was in the Dodge City Globe um, that she was fined uh, for working as a sporting woman. Uh, in the house run by Nellie Bessie Earp, James's wife, and I thought, you know, that's interesting because there, it kind of sets up the fact that she was familiar with the Earps long before most people think of it. They think of her as, you know, uh, uh, Tombstone and mm-hmm. and the conflict there, mm-hmm. and it goes way back. Right. I mean, that's absolutely true, and and I don't know. There's always been some conjecture about whether or not she had a physical relationship with Wyatt. I don't have any information to back that up with, but Wyatt might have wanted to pursue a relationship with her, and she might have been the one person that said, nah, I don't think so, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And that was probably the reason why he was fixated with her, because... Later on in the book, you see that that their paths cross a number of times, and she had no like for Wyatt at all. She thought that he was a uh, petty thief. (laughs) <laughs> well, also also the fact that her and Doc were kind of set up in Silver City with a pretty good deal, and then uh, Wyatt basically lures Doc down to Tombstone, and I, I got the impression that she, she kind of was like possibly thinking, you know, this is the future, me and Doc settling down, having a business, and everything will be fine and dandy. Well, that certainly was what she thought. Um, she believed that this was going to be the place that they were going to um, have the first of what would be a long line of businesses. Perhaps they would franchise their their <laughs> saloon there in Las Vegas, New Mexico. You don't know what was what the future held for them. But what she didn't want was interference from the herbs. I mean. Not only was she pleased that she and Doc were setting up a business together there in New Mexico, but Doc needed to be there because there was uh, there were a lot of people who were tuberculosis sufferers who Mm -hmm. lived in that particular area, and Mm -hmm. they had a community there, and people were getting healthy there, and he was in remission when he was there, and so she had um, she had an interest in keeping him alive. And she didn't think that that was even on the mind of any of the Earps, keeping Doc alive. How did uh, Kate get on with the Earp women? Um, I think that she, well, I know that she and Maddie worked together at James and Bessie's 
uh, place of business in Dodge City, mm-hmm. which is where she first meets Maddie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the two of them were friends to some degree, but at one point, uh, Maddie steals something from Kate, and the two of them uh, are not um, the, the best of buds at that point. But I think she always, Kate always had a soft spot for Maddie because of what she went through with Wyatt, because, you know, Wyatt is is um, Western royalty, and everybody treated Wyatt as though he was Western royalty all the way back, you know, during the Dodge City days. And Kate knew better. Kate was like, you know, this guy, this guy takes up with anybody. He pretends like he's married to them. He pretends like he's faithful to them. He's anything but. So everybody else can think that he is just the greatest thing going, and maybe he is with the gun, but I'll tell you, he has the morals of a guinea pig. So. Well, you're certainly shooting down my thoughts about Wyatt. Well, I think I think she's right on. I, I think she is too. Yeah, Chris, we got to do another break. We're talking with uh, Western Writers of America author Chris Ends in her new book, According to Kate, and it's about Big Nose Kate. We're going to do this and be right back with much more of Amal Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very important messages. Don't run away. Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. He recently served two tours in Afghanistan, where he received a Bronze Star for heroism and a Purple Heart for injuries sustained in combat. He recently left military service, and now he's unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Many of our men and women in uniform gave up good jobs and careers to join the military and take up the fight for freedom around the globe. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Please join with the American Legion, the nation's largest veteran service organization, in recognizing that veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. The training and experience they receive in the military is second to none. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. 
Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horses Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horses Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC stubs or movie pass. So after finishing this podcast, please give the movies out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google play. Simply search movies out until then. And that's a wrap. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. Yes, sir, Bob. This is the Voices of the West. Well, we can always tell when it's the second commercial break and uh, the end of the second commercial break because the High Chaparral theme comes on. And the pressure's off. And the pressure's off. Because <laughs> if I don't play that, DeFrance walks. That's right. Uh, this is Emil Franzi's uh, Voices of the West and uh, Harry Alexander and Bunker DeFrance here. And uh, our guest is Chris Enns, uh, author uh, extraordinaire. And uh, her prolific. latest book, uh, Prolific, yes. She's, uh, she's, she's uh, competing with Boggs for the number of books. I think Boggs is falling behind. <laughs> anyway, her latest book is According to Kate, and it's about Big Nose Kate. And uh, one of our faithful listeners, Sherrod, uh, in uh, Georgia, uh, messaged us and saying, interesting show, Doc Holliday was from Griffin, Georgia, the town where she works. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, there's an interesting uh, piece here. Maybe you can tell us some of the story on it. I understand there in Glenwood Springs, there's a Derringer with uh, a, a dedication to Doc from Kate. Mm. Yeah, you know, I have, uh, I got, I was contacted by the gentleman who found that, or said that he found that particular gun, uh, antique dealer. Uh, yeah, he sent me some pictures of it. It's incredible. The only thing about it that makes me question it, and uh, who the heck am I for crying out loud, is that there's a um, etching of a big nose on it, and it says, from um, Doc to Big Nose, Kate. Now, I'm sorry. I just don't think that Doc would have called her Big Nose. No. Yeah. Not, not if he wanted to keep his feet warm that night. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. I agree with that, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like over in New Mexico where I grew up. Um, 
almost every bar in New Mexico had behind the bar Billy the Kid's gun. So by my <laughs> recollection, and there was a lot of bars in New Mexico, there had to be probably five, ten thousand guns he owned. Well, he must have lost a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Kept dropping well, them. Well, yeah, it's where a fact is absent, print the legend. There, so. you, there you go. Well, I've got another question for you. Considering this time of year, would you consider this book a good holiday read? Oh yeah, I I really I really do. I mean, I think it's just it's um, it's a it's a wonderful story about a woman who um, had not just a story but a legend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you want to read about a Western legend, she's the person to to right. to study this this Christmas. Well, speaking of legends. Uh, and this has nothing to do with them. Uh, you mentioned in the, in the beginning of the book that uh, you had to deal with some threats made against writing the book. Uh, that's that's intriguing to me because you obviously well, did it. I I am uh, consistently amazed how many people think they own history, <laughs> and how many people and how many people will tell me. You didn't ask me for the permission to write this book. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the foremost authority on this. How Ooh, could you not have come yeah. to me and asked that? Ah. Um, yeah. We, we won't say any names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have, had, I have had a number of people. I mean, at the beginning, that was insane. I mean, I had um, people that would write me and say, you know, why on earth is the greatest gunfighter lawman in the history and if you say anything disparaging about him it's going to be trouble for you mm-hmm. yeah well especially, our, especially our, over here yeah. our, our late uh, uh, show co-host Joe Dreyfus he passed uh, December of last year uh, he was an ardent uh, anti Earp fan. And he was cowboy. He was cowboy. And he was from St. Okay. David. And, and, and his, his kin were there at the at the uh, shootout, or during the shootout. They and, were in the bar. Yeah, probably. But uh, uh, his, kin had, his kin had a totally different oral history of what the Earps were all about than uh, what the, the legend uh, talks about. So. I want to make a really abrupt left turn right here. Right. While I was looking up stuff about you, I, I thought it was really great that you were very, very active in your in your area over there in Nevada City and that you wrote with the stuff with the union and I came across the little piece about the support group for those falsely accused and so I followed it up a little bit and I came across your your site the plea and I went through reading the entries in there and I'll tell you I I I, know, I understand because I have very close friends that went through something like that. Uh, it uh, was tragic, and it is it, it's something that really needs to be addressed. And if you'd like to take a moment to uh, to talk about that, I think it I think it's well worth the time. Well, God bless you for asking me about it. Yeah, I am. Um, I uh, am very my. I have been a private investigator for a number of years, and the only cases that I take are those people who are falsely accused of child molestation. And um, what's amazing to me is how often that happens in a divorce situation. Mm -hmm. It is the absolute Mm -hmm. perfect crime. 
you want to make somebody go away for a long time, yep. falsely accuse them of child molestation. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere they can go. There's nothing that they can say. How do you prove a negative? How do you prove a negative? Yeah. Um, and um, you are branded for the rest of your life. I mean, I liken it to that line that um, Clint Eastwood says in the movie, The Unforgiven. When you do that, you take away everything a man is, everything he's ever going to be. Because mm -hmm. there's no coming back from it. That's right. Yeah, I had a very and, close friend that happened to him uh, with their granddaughter. Uh, their son, he ended up committing suicide uh, just because he couldn't handle it. Well, actually, he didn't commit suicide. He, he had a heart attack, but uh, some of the other well, side said it was suicide. And it was just, it was terrible. I couldn't believe that people could be that malicious and evil and downright cunning and that our legal system was supporting them. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, that's absolutely correct because it's it just there's a 97 percent conviction rate every time you say somebody does it, and you don't have to back it up with anything. Right. Mm. All you have to do is have a kid say this happens and um, and 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 point to the guy they say did it. Mm -hmm. And if the that's real kid, that's all you got to have. Yeah. I mean, that's insane because. Yeah. If I said that you robbed the bank, I got to prove motive, opportunity. I've got to have witnesses. You don't have to have anything with this. Yeah. Back to and the. And I know, and I know that it happened because for so many years we ignored this kind of thing. But now we're on the other end of the continuum, mm -hmm. where where people are on to what is going on uh, in a divorce situation, and and it's horrible that you can accuse somebody of doing this just because you don't want them in your life anymore, in yeah. your child's life anymore, and that will stick. I mean, when I come in on a case, I cannot, you're going to go to jail. I can only help you get it down from 20 to maybe 2. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, but you're going to go away. Yeah. Gosh. And back to back to the book here. Um, I understand that you did, uh, you, you uh, pulled from a lot of, uh, uh, well, widely known researchers uh, in preparing for this topic um, and from what I understand one of them is our good friend Scott Dyke Scott Dyke is absolutely just an, an incredible man and just a wealth of information and he's so giving and he's so willing to help um, people like myself who want to write a book about a subject of the old west that he might be able to to, to help you to, to construct mm -hmm. and to get the to get the history to he just is a sharp guy and I owe him a debt and he's just he's just been a wonderful good friend to me and um, you know I I have enjoyed being being around him and I mean if, if you cannot just have a little bit of a conversation with Scott no no <laughs> no. You know? no I mean it goes it goes from it'll go from Big Nose Kate all the way to Casey Tibbs and uh -huh. every place in between. Uh-huh. You know? Yep. yep. <laughs> and he knows the right questions <laughs> and, to ask. And he does. Yes, sir. And mo mo no doubt yes, about that. Hey, we're going to do our final uh, commercial break here, Chris. So hang on. We will be back with uh, uh, much more. We've got about, oh, about 10 minutes when we get back from the final commercial break. So here we are. This is uh, Amol Franzi's Voices of the West. We're going to be back right after these very important messages. Do not I repeat, do not go away.
Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. B.O.W. Radio Back on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander and uh, Bunker de France had to play the uh, Harry. had to play the Wyatt <laughs> theme song. Man. Well, that's one of your favorite shows. It, anyway. it is. It is. Hey, it is. Uh, We're talking with Chris Enns and uh, author and her latest book, According to Kate. It's about Big Nose Kate. All right. There is a movie that was made a couple of years ago called Tombstone Rashomon by uh, Alex Koch, was the director. Are you familiar with that at all? I am not. Well, it's. I am. Try and get, try and find a copy of that. It's a. It, the premise basically is a news team uh, has the ability to time travel, and they go back to cover the OK Corral, <laughs> but they get there a day late, so they end up covering the trial, just like reporters. But, and it's kind of like the old "You Are There" yeah, cool. uh, format. Cool. But there's a young lady named Christine Diagi. I can't pronounce her name right. Played Kate and. I've seen Kate in every one of the movies. She is the outstanding Kate. I think you will enjoy her wow. performance. Okay. All right. I'll take a look at that. I didn't know that they did it. Okay. What a great idea. Yeah. And been- this is another thing. There's a, there's a series out now. It's been running for about, it's going into the sixth season on the Sci-Fi Channel called Winona Earp. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and- yeah. Yes, I have seen seen bits of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was interesting because Winona is 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 big nose. Eh? Mm-hmm. She just goes by various Mister names, mm-hmm. but she's also, I guess, a vampire or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, some but supernatural. That thing. just shows you, you know, mm-hmm. the Western is still alive in some shape, form. Certainly or, is. Or, or, I think I think it's always going to be a, a a part of. Um, 
the entertainment industry to some degree. God, I hope so. <laughs> because I think that people love the whole idea of the bad guy getting his in the end. Well, yeah, and we're going to be talking about uh, that, uh, the Westerns of 2019 in our, our next program, and uh, the stuff that we've watched, if we can remember it, <laughs> oh, uh, over the past or year. Or read about Or read so about them yeah. so hard I to mean, get there, there are just, uh, that, that's the, the thrust of, of our, our next program. Um, so, oh, and uh, before we get back to the book, I uh, thought just popped into my mind on uh, tonight's Old West Radio. It's uh, the adventures of Pancho and Cisco oh, and cool. Tales of the Texas Rangers starring Joel McRae. And uh, it's a Christmas program for tonight. Well, you know, speaking of coming attractions, which yes. is what we were doing, uh, I understand, Chris, you've got three books in the pipeline, No Place for a Woman, uh, Iron Ladies and uh, Laura Reno's Brothers. Yeah, Laura Reno's Brothers is the first um, fiction book that I have written. And, uh, yeah, Laura Reno is... Um, That's a great story, it, the Reno it, Brothers. It, it's based loosely on, you know, all the Reno Brothers and, and their one sister, Laura, and, and how um, she came to their defense a couple of times. Um, so it's, it's, really, it's really kind of loosely based on that. And then... Um, I've got, um, you still there? Yep, we're here. Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> we're uh, we're I thought, listening. Okay. I, thought, I thought they were thinking, this is so boring. We've now cut, <laughs> <laughs> We've cut it off. She's, she's ten ways to boring. And then, and then No Place for a Woman to Fight for Women's Suffrage in the Wild West comes out in March. Because, I mean, I enjoyed working on that book. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the... Women's suffrage got its start back in the New York in, in the New York area in yep. 1848. People yeah. know that, but women in the East didn't get to vote until 1920, and it was women in the West who right. really Wyoming, Wyoming. right right before anybody else. Yeah, women and I mean, it really, if it hadn't have been taken away from the women in Utah, they would have been the very first ones yeah. to have gotten the opportunity yeah. to vote. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, so that's been, and, and the fact of how much we owe to soil doves with the ability that we can vote, vote because soil doves were the first one to vote, yeah. and it's because they um, could own property and they paid to, to get a license. Mm -hmm. They were community leaders in some of their towns. Business leaders, yeah. yes. Right, and well, so that gave them the right to be able to, to vote in, in local elections. So. I'm curious to know how, how... What? How many hats do you have to change from writing what you do, the the historical um, books about Kate, for example, and then you go to writing fiction? Because predominantly your books are all about actual events, and now well, you're writing fiction. I've only done it once, and it's not completely done yet. It's hard. That's a hard <laughs> one to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, ask somebody like a Johnny Boggs who does that on a regular basis. How he's able to do it because. I am in the habit of writing a historical nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So me to to be able to do that, it's it's difficult. It's it's a longer process. Um, so you know, I, I just I, I appreciate it because it gives me an opportunity to um, make sure that that the people who have I, I feel really irritated by, you know, I can name them the people in the fiction book and they all go down. Protect the innocent. They, they all go 
down, not one of them. You know, in real life, you can't do away with the people who've done you dirty. <laughs> yeah, you can put a bullet in her head in his fiction. In a, in a fiction, you know, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. So that part of it, I, I, I like that part of it, but I, I am very um, structured. So mm-hmm. when it, I, I, I do the nonfiction because it is very structured and there's some order that goes to it. Yeah. You have control over how you're going to approach that sure. particular subject matter. I just, but, I, um, <laughs> I just had the craziest vision, and Harry knows how my visions are. I just, I just pictured Wyatt Earp in a fiction book, oh God. and they discover him with his britches down, wearing a pair of pink bloomers. Oh. <laughs> can you ima- can you imagine? I mean, if people are already upset with me about the Kate book, thinking I was going to do something, <laughs> anything like that, there'd be no place to hide. Oh, yeah. they'd come yeah. after us, the villagers with pitchforks and burning torches. <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. I just, um, you know, where you are, people that were so adamant about sticking up for Wyatt Earp when yeah. you didn't know him, you yeah. don't know everything about him. Yeah. Well, um, what they know is from what they watch from the television shows or the Stuart movies. Lake. Or Stuart Lake, yeah. The, the, well, who right, embellished Stuart everything. Lake, and, <laughs> you know, I just, I loved I being in Kate's skin and writing about what she did. I particularly was fond of right after the gunfight when Doc and Wyatt are uh, apprehended and, and being held. Um, Held over at a hotel a couple of a couple of blocks down from Fly's mm-hmm. photography studio and mm-hmm. um, boarding house and and Kate gets a visit from um, Johnny Ringo comes to visit her and I love it because she says that he came to visit her and she gave him a she, she he came to visit her twice and she gives him a tumble both times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I know. love that because. Yeah. You know, right, right, and she is a businesswoman. Yep. There is no question about it. You yep. know, she has, it was Ringo who says, you need to get out of here because they want to kill you. They've mm. tried to kill you before and mm. they want to kill you now. So you better get out of here. And she said, I don't have any money to go. Where am I going? I gave it all to Doc to bail him out. Mm. Yeah. Um, how, how much? So, how, how much validity is it to is there to the uh, I've heard that there's a guest house down in Cochise that uh, she had managed or lived there at one time. Are you familiar with that? I not only I've been there. Cool. It looks I've cool. I've been there. I've seen it. I mean, it's a, it's and she was a smart businesswoman because it is right across the street from the railroad. Yeah. So, yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Anybody being deposited here is going to do some business over here at this boarding house. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, so, you, you, know did, you did a documentary, uh, an, ounce, an ounce short about Pauline Ogden. <laughs> we don't have much time left, but I'd, if you could fill us in a little bit on that, would be cool. Oh, golly, that was more of a mockumentary. Then it was a documentary because I, um, you know, I got my I got my start in everything doing stand up comedy. I went to right. the University of Arizona, and I worked at uh, comedy clubs all over town, and then was on a circuit that took me from New Mexico all the way to the Yukon for crying out loud. But anyway, um, I uh, 
wanted to write about this woman by the name of Pauline Ogden, a woman I made up who came in contact with all these amazing entertainers in the frontier. And she was trying to get a job as an entertainer at a time when anybody could get a job. She couldn't get arrested. <laughs> so, so it's just about, it's just a, a, this little mockumentary piece. And uh, she ends up getting shot by a monkey. Well, there's justice. Yeah, one of the circuses that she joined to entertain. So, monkey's name Wyatt. (laughs) Yeah, another reason to not arm monkeys. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's right. Well, in the in the documentary or in the mockumentary, you can hear the historian come on and say, "Well." The monkey didn't mean to shoot her. He was cleaning his gun. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I believe it. That's funny. And on that note, we've got to end. Chris, Chris, thank you so much for joining us this uh, afternoon. Thank you, gentlemen. I I certainly appreciate the chance to be able to chat about Kate and just, you know, let your listeners know if they are interested further about any of the books, and particularly about Kate, if they visit uh, chrisentz.com, they're able to get all the info they can about her. Ton of info. Sounds like a plan. Chris, thank you so much, and I will email you that other stuff we we talked about earlier. Please do. Thank right. you. Thank right. you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Chris it's been Hans, a delight. Down in the Green Valley area, and uh, what what a what a she's <laughs> a great lady and a great author. Oh yeah, you know? so sharp. Yeah. Well, that's it for this edition. I reckon. I reckon. Well, we done it, Harry. Yeah, we One did. One more it show left for the for nineteen nineteen. Nineteen nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Eighteen nineteen. <laughs> Seventeen nineteen. Somewhere in there. Okay, something nineteen. We'll be back next time here on Amo Frenzy's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander and Bunker DeFrance saying, Adios. So long. Thanks for listening to Amo Frenzy's Voices of the West.